Hey guys, welcome back to the Vibe Within podcast. I'm your host, Gab Cohen, and today's episode is a part two with Deanna Schober. She is the one of the hosts of the Fitness and Sushi podcast. If you haven't listened to part one, we talk about the deprivation mindset. We talk about the binge restrict cycle, disordered eating, recovering from disordered eating, dieting, and you know, restricting and overeating and emotional eating. We talk about a lot of stuff in that episode, so go check out that episode first. And then in this episode today, we go deeper into emotional eating. What is emotional eating? What's overeating? Um, We talk about how to get out of the deprivation mindset that we can find ourselves so stuck in. Uh, We talk about pleasure and permission-based eating and how important it is to find pleasure in what we eat and how that actually helps us get out of the binge restrict cycle. We talk about emotional needs, how to meet those needs. Um, You know, emotional eating is really tied to something deeper. It's not just about the food. So we go deep into this episode and it's one of my favorite episodes about disordered eating for sure because we talk a lot about what we can actually do to get out of the, out of those behaviors and patterns and and mindsets. So we go through a lot of uh, points in this episode. So I did make some lists of stuff and put it. I'll put it in the show notes so you guys can maybe follow along if that helps. And if you want to connect with Deanna, you can uh, click the link in the show notes. You can make a breakthrough call with her, or you can check out her podcast, Fitness and Sushi. Uh, she also has like a group program for recovering and, you know, going through disordered eating stuff and binge restrict cycle and um, just her and Tony over on the podcast, Fitness and Sushi. It's really, really helpful. So I'll put all that in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And if you haven't already, if you can leave me a, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or both, that'd be really helpful. It helps the podcast thrive and I really appreciate you guys. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Cool. So I'm here with Deanna. We're we're going to do a part two. Um, if you guys haven't listened to the first episode, we talked all about emotional eating, restriction, binging, deprivation mindset, and we're, we're going to go deeper into this episode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, Deanna definitely talked about her history with disordered eating, and um, we, we really got deep in that episode, Deanna. Yeah, we did. And I loved it. I like could I could talk to you all day, Gab. Like, all day. <laughs> um so let's just hit it off um we did I did get a really good feedback uh of the first episode and lots of dms and and an email from from one listener and um so let's dive into the 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 idea of restriction and how it creates intensity around food and food obsession slash food fixation what does this mean and how can we feel at peace with food when we are so like feeling so intense and like always thinking about food. Yeah. So the problem that most people come to me with is like, I hear what you're saying about like, I shouldn't restrict and everything, but when I don't restrict, then I go crazy with my, with food and I binge. And the thing that everyone needs to kind of wrap their head around is that it's actual that you're getting it backwards. It's not the, that you can't control yourself and therefore you should restrict. It's that when you restrict, you get into a place where you can't control yourself when you let yourself eat food. So the one thing is causing the other, not vice versa. So restriction is the reason you can't control yourself with food, not I can't restrict well enough. So I'm Mm -hmm. binging on food. One thing leads to the other. And so there's a very, like, I personally like to know the, the physiological neurological reasons behind these things, because first of all, it makes me feel better. Like this is not a me problem. This is a dieting problem. And so I think it's important to understand, you know, I think in the last episode, we might've talked about like abundance versus scarcity and what that does Mm -hmm. in our primitive, in our primitive brain, when we, uh, you know, I are, we are constantly having to rise above our 
primitive survival skills, because if, if we're messing with them in the wrong way, then we're going to get these outcomes that we don't want. And we're working against the way that we are wired. So one of the ways that we're wired is if something is scarce, meaning it's going away, or we think it's going away, or that someday it has to go away, or we shouldn't be eating this, and therefore it should go away. Um, then we put ourselves into a state of scarcity. Now, when our um, hunter and gatherer ancestors were put, or when something was scarce, like say water or berries or whatever, then it would serve them to become obsessed with the thing that is missing. Because if you're really zoomed in on it and tapped into it, you're more likely to find it. So you can see like the minute you tell yourself, I can never have sugar. I can never have this. This is so bad for you. This is junk food. Then that creates you go into a state of scarcity with it, which creates a different relationship with it. Um, and then if you, once, you know, the, once the hunter and gatherer, um, has like, is constantly scanning their environment for something and they're obsessed and they're thinking about all the time, then when they do find it, they're not just going to be like, oh, Hey, water, cool. Let's get a little bit. Let's fill it. Let's drink. They're going to take as much as they can possibly find, because they have no idea when they're going to find it again, because their brain believes that it's scarce. And so until water is coming in regularly again, there is going to be an intense relationship with water or berries, whatever was scarce. Right. That's exactly what we're doing. When we restrict, we're putting ourselves, we are triggering that primal response that was meant for our ancestors to help them survive. But we're, we can't get away from that. We're hardwired that way. That's just how we're made. And so when we sit down with food after telling ourselves that in some way we can't eat this, we shouldn't eat this. We're not going to eat this. This is bad for me. Um, I can't control myself with this. Then we are creating an intense relationship with that food via scarcity. So, and then when you sit down and you can't stop eating it, you're like, see, I knew I couldn't control myself with this food. I knew that this was the, that this was a me problem. And it's like, it, we prove it to ourselves or we think we are when in reality, all that's happened is that we've accidentally triggered our primal instinct to hoard on scarce things. Yeah. We've accidentally triggered our primal instincts by restriction. That, that yep. is like, can we just highlight that because that mental shift is what could really help people get out of that, like, and, and feel like that. Oh, oh, okay. So, and that's also why people like can't trust themselves around food is because like what you're saying, when you restrict food, certain foods, um, and we will get into maybe it is uh, like appropriate to to keep out a certain food. Like we'll we'll get mm -hmm. into the the food boundaries later. But um, yeah, like the the whole like not trusting yourself and saying, well, when I when I eat, I binge no matter what. It's like you know, it's, it's the mindset that you have around the food. And we've talked about this on our calls too, like how I have told you, I feel like I have a volume eating issue. Mm -hmm. And, and you even said that is because you're not eating enough and, and that yeah. restriction and deprivation mindset. So when I do eat my primal instinct exactly is triggered and my body is hungry, like physically. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so eating in abundance or eating more than enough or eating too much, quote unquote, is what happens. So, yep. yeah. So let's that's just, and that's just on a psychological level too. the, there's also the physiological, like you kind of touched on it there where your body really literally is trying to refeed itself and it's going into famine mode and there's things that happen in famine mode, um, that, are also drive you to eat more when you sit down to eat. And it's, it's, you really are when you're restricting, when you're dieting, dieting is the thing and diet culture put us into the state and made us believe not only number one, that we should restrict. And, but number two, if we sit down, if we binge that it's your fault, you just are lazy. You have low willpower. You don't want it enough. You're not trying hard enough. And 
so we feel like a failure. So we, we go into guilt and shame and without ever trying to find a solution. And that just leads us right back through the cycle. And I think that like, if I wanted everybody to know one thing, it's that this is not a you problem. It's a restriction and dieting and diet culture problem. Yeah. And one of your big pillars, um, in your program is, um, satisfaction. And I, I think what I'd like to propose just to people listening is I think the lack of satisfaction in somebody's diet or eating life, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like the lack of satisfaction is maybe the biggest trigger of becoming hyper fixated and like obsessed with food and always thinking about food. Would you agree? 100%. I mean, so something else that I've learned about human beings is that we are another way that we are driven is by pleasure, satisfaction. And so in any given situation, um, when, where there's a choice to be made, we're going to choose the thing that is the most satisfying to us in that moment. That's going to bring us the most pleasure. So if we're trying to force ourselves to eat something because we think we should, or because it's, um, the thing that the rule of the diet that we're supposed to be following, or there's a health statistic that scared us about that food. Um, but the more rewarding and pleasurable thing to us in reality is sitting on the couch and eating something else, like more pleasurable, we're going to choose the more, ple- we will always choose the more pleasurable thing. And that's how we are wired. And so we need to work with that instead of against it. We're, we are wired to chase pleasure and satisfaction. That's how we will reproduce. That's how we, that's how we will eat. That's how we will move. We will always choose the thing that is the most, um, that produces the biggest reward for us. So we try to get people to use that knowledge and make sure that when you're eating, it's really pleasurable. And that doesn't mean that you are not eating healthy whole foods. I eat almost, you know, almost a hundred, like not hundred percent. I'd say I'm probably at like 90% whole foods at this point. Mm-hmm. And, but I made, I had to make adjustments and make sure that like those foods were highly pleasurable to me. I really enjoy sitting down and eating them and I'm not right. getting rid of the foods that I also, um, that are, you know, the, the foods that I enjoy, like, um, going out for pizza with the kids or something like that. So I'm still having those things. I haven't gotten rid of anything, but the focus is always on enjoyment and pleasure rather than like discipline and willpower. What would you say to someone who, because I'm, I'm thinking of people and what they might be thinking, um, Mm -hmm. like, okay. Um, but what is too much pleasure and too much enjoyment and too much satisfaction for a binge eater? And, um, is if the food tastes really, really good, I'm just going to want to keep eating it. And I, Mm -hmm. and and then I won't stop because there's, especially in the eating disorder realm, there are a lot of restrictors who say, well, I'm going to eat bland food is food is fuel. And that will completely knock out my cravings. And, you know, the, the less pleasurable the food is the, the less I'll think about, you know, food and cravings. Like that's a, that's big in the carnivore space, but like, mm-hmm. um, what would you say to someone like that? Like, like, but what's too much pleasure. And if the food tastes so good, I'm not going to stop. This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something good for your body. They start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you have ever felt. And this blend is amazing for autoimmune issues and gut issues. So the result of using Cacao Bliss, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, aiding weight loss, boosting your energy, 
and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, but it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, Mindful Health has been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. So they are offering 15% off when you use the code GABS, that's G-A-B-S, GABS, and that will get you 15% off your purchase. I really love this Cacao Bliss blend. It helps activate your metabolism. It helps to burn body fat, crush your cravings, maintain healthy immune system function, and it helps fight temporary inflammation related to exercise, which I used to deal with a lot of that inflammation from chronic stress. And this also helps improving digestion and supports feeling better mentally and emotionally with a good mood because all of the things that this blend is uh, mixed with, like the turmeric, the coconut, the Himalayan sea salt, this is curated especially for folks who have high inflammation. And the fact that it tastes amazing and it's the healthiest kind of cacao blend you could ever make. I mean, you can make all these amazing desserts, smoothies, ice creams. You can make little chocolate fudge. There's so many different ways you can incorporate this into your diet. You can make nice hot chocolates and frappes. And I'm having a really good time just kind of experimenting with it. So go ahead and follow them on Instagram. Everything will be in the show notes. You can click the link and use the discount code GABS, G-A-B-S, for 15% off your purchase. Well, I don't think there's such a thing as too much pleasure. I think that each and every one of us should be living our days trying to find as much pleasure as we possibly can. And I think that we just need to steer it in the direction of what we want and how we want to feel. Pleasure um, for me might be like, so I'm saying all these things, you have to understand, I'm saying all these things from a healed place. So this is like you heal. And then this is, this is true. Um, When you're healing, it's, it's going to be very different, but once you heal pleasure to me is no longer I need to eat a whole thing of ice cream or I need to eat a whole, uh, I need to eat and eat and eat and eat and never stop because it's not pleasurable to me anymore because I feel horrible afterwards physically. So there's this mm-hmm. perfect balance for me of how much I can eat of that food and where I'll still feel good. And those two things together are very clear to me. Now that my head is not full of, I'll never eat this again. I can't eat this. I shouldn't be eating this. The guilt and the shame that used to clog my my sensory experience, because it wasn't, um, I think the difference, and this is how I always explain it on my breakthrough calls. When people are confused about this, when you're in an intense state with food, then the sitting down and eating of the food and breaking the rule or letting go finally, or I'll fix this later. Like that feeling is the event. That's what you're experiencing. You're experience the event of eating. And when you heal your relationship with food and the intensity comes down and, um, you sit down to eat, then the taste and the experience of the food becomes the event, which is totally different. So before it's like, Oh, I'm eating and I'm getting away with it, or I'm eating and I shouldn't be. And there's all these like feelings that, that kind of get wrapped up in that kind of binge eating. And then when you're healed, it's like, this tastes so good and I'm really present and I'm enjoying it and I'm not distracted by how much I shouldn't be eating it. And therefore I get these, I'm completely in touch with my natural hunger cues that tell me like, that's enough. You can stop. And also because I know there's always going to be more, I can have more tomorrow. I can have more next week. I can have more next year, like whenever, whenever I want, I can have more of this so I can just taste it. And the pleasure from that is the combination of how I feel and how it tastes. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, like the permission to eat and to allow yourself to experience pleasure and enjoyment when you're eating is kind of like the portal or the opening 
to releasing the binge eating or overeating or emotional eating or whatever. Exactly. It's how it's, you can't judge how you're going to feel about food from an unhealed place. You, because when you're judging how you are with food right now, before healing your, your relationship is only indicates how you are with that food when you're still in diet culture and when you still have an intense relationship with food. So how you feel now about food is not going to be how you feel about food. Once you've healed on the other side of it, it's completely different. So your wants and your needs, um, you know, when you're binging and, experiencing the, the binge restrict cycle are going to be completely different. You know, the first thing when I was healing, I was like my first meal, I think that I planned for myself was chicken tenders with tater tots. And, um, I was like fried food. There was all the stuff that I had not let myself eat. And that very quickly, was like, no, because sometimes maybe I'll have a bite or two of this, but like, it does not feel good. I went right back to mostly whole foods. Um, and mm-hmm. mostly fruits and vegetables. It just, it, it changes what you want because your feelings, not because you stop wanting those things. You're, you're just, you're like your feelings around food and those foods change very quickly. And so when somebody can, cause even when you were talking, when you were explaining the difference of what it feels like to be going into the experience of eating from like a good place and then going into mm-hmm. the the event of like a binge, I, I could like sense the, the energy shift, you know, just, just by listening to you talk. So like the way the energy that we have going into an eating experience, because like, take it from me, I even told you this, like eating sometimes feels like, um, a scary event for me because of the GI issues that I have, the flare up that I had a month and a half ago. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I could, I could get deep into it on my podcast, but I don't want to gross people out. To be honest, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a gross thing to deal with um, IBD and GI issues and reactions to food. So, and a lot of my listeners do have autoimmune issues. So mm-hmm. they might be sitting here saying, well, eating, eating physically could become like uh, an, Uh, an unpleasant event because of what the food does, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but if, if even, even if you are in that scenario, could you stick to your safe foods, find the foods that work for you? And instead of going into the eating experience with fear, with shame, with guilt, with trepidation, with, oh shit, what's going to happen energy, could Mm -hmm. you go into it with, okay, I'm going to move slowly because that's going to help my nervous system tame itself and feel safe. And can I go into this eating experience with calm, pleasurable, whatever, you know, you, you, you want to call it energy and, and eat slowly and sit down and see what happens, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think the, your mindset behind what you're doing is the most important thing about all of this. Like I said, like how I used to eat before is like when I was, you know, orthorexic looks very similar to how I eat now. Um, it's all in the way I think about it and all in the way that I feel when I'm eating. And it, sometimes I think that, I mean, I think that you have to work at it. You really do have to work at changing every time you sit down to eat at just listening to the self-talk what's coming up. Is there fear? And I just told a client the other day, um, don't be afraid of your appetite. Don't be, because when you're afraid of something, you're giving it power over you. Like let it rain, let it like express itself and don't be afraid of that. And when you, I think that like when, when we have suppressed something for so long, and we have really given energy to it because we're so afraid of it. And because of that, when it first shows itself, it can be really intense. So when we first say, okay, appetite, okay, body, whatever you want, you got it. And I'm not going to beat you up for it. I'm not going to be negative about it. You truly get whatever you want. Um, the intensity at first of the, of the appetite that has been suppressed and suppressed and suppressed can feel so intense that you might get scared of it. And you might Mm -hmm. feel 
you know, it, it, the intensity may really scare you. And the it's just so important in those moments to be like, no, it's okay. Like, I understand why this is so intense right now. I have suppressed you for so long. I have suppressed this feeling for so long. I have denied myself for so long. Of course, it's going to be intense. And the sooner that you can really um, let that be and let that play out and let that just don't be afraid of it and just allow and not beat yourself up the sooner the intensity is going to come down. And then, you, you know, you see the wave kind of come and then it crests and then it subsides and that's, you'll be able to naturally just sit down and it not be, you know, more and more. So it takes time, but obviously more and more. So you'll be able to just naturally sit down and it's no longer an event, but you do have to kind of work at it. The healing process is a lot of reprogramming with food where you are literally rewiring the things that you say to yourself, rewiring the emotions and the fear and all of those things around, um, sitting down to eat. Yeah. And I actually wanted to talk to you about hunger and satiety. So, um, so for people who are in that restrict overeat binge or like cycle, um, Mm -hmm. I think because people like us, we will let our bodies get so hungry to the point where it hits us and we are ravenous, right? Yeah. So in order for people who are in that situation to not get so overwhelmed and and scared and feeling that intensity, because feeling that intense of a hunger mm-hmm. is kind of scary because it's mm-hmm. it's like, I think, you know, it's cortisol, it's adrenaline, you, the primal instinct comes in, the nervous system is obviously not calm because when you're super, super hungry, things are going to be heightened. So when I'm, when I get too hungry, you know, when I let myself just, when I'm doing stuff during the day and I'm in my ADHD world, um, like I will forget to eat and, you know, I, I'm, I'm an OMAD person. So I, I typically eat later in the day anyways, but like people who maybe that doesn't work for, they let themselves get really, really hungry. And even if, even this happens to me, like I'll go into my eating window and I'm like, okay, whoa, I'm like, I really feel ravenous. And that, that's that drive to eat quickly happens. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I get like, it's just, it's so hard for people to slow things down and especially when they're so hungry it's like so how do you help people navigate hunger satiety what about people who genuinely could eat like a huge voluminous meal and then they just don't like feel satiated like what's going on uh so with just generally speaking this is going to be different for every one but we just try to start everybody at just because what happens when you're not, you know, we touched on the, like the primal um, urges and the primal drive that we have to survive. Right. And so this is all tied into that. When you are not regularly getting fuel into your body and your brain senses that there's not enough fuel coming in, or it's unpredictable. So I have a lot of clients who work, they're like full-time, um, career is just crazy or they have kids there's just like a lot going on and so they're regularly missing meals the their body doesn't really know when food is coming in um i have had a lot of people coming in who were doing intermittent fasting who just you know have the kind of a similar um situation happening and what happens when food is not predictably coming in or you're letting yourself get so hungry that you're ravenous um, and you're doing that regularly is that your body goes into famine mode. So it's very similar to what we talked about at the beginning psychologically, but it's also something happens physiologically where metabolism slows down because they, it doesn't know when food is going to come in again. So it has to preserve all the energy on your body. So if you've been somebody who has like dieted and dieted and dieted, and like every time you can't, it's harder and harder and harder to lose weight. That could be why like your metabolism can, can slow down, um, because you're constantly in famine mode. So famine mode also looks like being obsessed with food, thinking about it all day. Um, 
thinking about it every time you walk through the kitchen, you feel like you've got to grab um, something to eat. And like, the thing is when you are in that state of famine or where your brain thinks you're, you're in a state of famine, you don't crave vegetables or fruits or like something that's going to take a long time to digest because your, your brain wants the fastest um, energy source that it can get something that doesn't take a long time to digest that can go right into the bloodstream and get straight to the brain. And so you will crave sugar. You'll crave carbs. You'll crave, um, chips, high, like dense, hyperpalatable, hyperpalatable, highly dense, dense calories, because your brain is trying to survive. That's all your brain cares about. Your brain just wants to keep you alive. That's it. It doesn't care if you thrive. It doesn't care if you have a goal to lose weight. It just wants to keep you alive. And that's what it's always doing. So that is what's happening um, when you're getting behind on eating. So we really stress regulation. And what that means is just getting a steady supply of food into the body throughout the day. And while some people can end up doing things like intermittent fasting for health reasons, if they feel like it's better for their health, um, then we look at that way down the line after they're healed. But when they are first in, you know, that first position where they're still learning to heal and still understanding themselves, then we're trying to get them regulated, eating hefty meals, not like heavy, but a good amount of food, not what you would think when you think about dieting. I have so many women who come in and they're like, I have cottage cheese for breakfast and that's it. Or I have a piece of toast and I go to work and it's like, we're looking for satiation. Um, also satisfaction going back to the psychological rules and then some nourishment. So getting those nutrients into your body too. Um, and that helps to regulate. So then your blood sugar and famine mode are not the drivers of the car anymore. They're, you can, you're the driver of the car. You can make any decision around food from a place of having a stable blood sugar, not being in famine mode, not being in scarcity, being in abundance. Um, and then you can, it's, it's just so much easier to deal with food when or with life, really, <laughs> you know, it's not on your mind anymore when you are um, experiencing that regulation. Yeah. And when the body, like you said, the blood sugar too, like panic attacks are actually known to be more prominent when blood sugar issues are a thing, like when your blood mm. sugar is all out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the body, if even if like somebody could just nourish themselves a little bit more so that they're not getting to that starving, you know, over hungry state, then that might just be like, just exactly what they need. Like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a crazy amount of food, especially for people Mm -hmm. like me who come from restrictive backgrounds. Um, Mm -hmm. um, and like when the body can feel safe and the nervous system can feel safe, which is, um, I've been doing a lot of research on like nervous system eating. There's this, um, Mm -hmm. there's this woman in, in the eating disorder space that talks a lot about nervous system eating. Basically it's like, yeah, like when your nervous system is all hyped up, when you go into an eating experience, it's going to feel intense. So what can we do to make your nervous system and your body feel safe? Because in in our minds, we were like, oh yeah, I got a full fridge. I could go get this. I could go get that. But our body doesn't know that because our body like doesn't understand that we're safe. You know, it just Mm -hmm. feels the hunger and then it might, you know, kind of put us in this autopilot binge overeat fast eating, rush eating mode. Exactly. Yeah. So it, I, I can't even tell you how many of my clients have come in and we've worked on this and it it's just, it's magical. And they don't, be, I think that they don't believe it, but it's like eat and eat enough and eat the food that you actually like and eat food that makes you feel full for three to four hours. And that right there has taken, I have seen it take care of so many people's eating problems that they thought were food addiction. They thought they, um, were like beyond hope. They thought that if they ate, let themselves eat that much food, that they were, um, going to eat that much food, plus all their, the 
snacking and grazing that they'd been doing. And the snacking and grazing just went away because they were full. So it's like amazing to see the difference and to see um, what happens when you work with your body instead of constantly fighting it and what it wants. Um, And the reality is that if you let yourself, if you sit down and plan to eat more, you're not going to have the cravings and the overeating sessions nearly as much, if at all, than you were before, because your body feels like there's like, it's out of famine mode. (laughs) It's like, okay, cool. I'm fed. Cool. Move on. Whatever else you need to work on, whatever else you need to do. And I think that a lot of that, the nervous system, uh, problem comes from being in famine mode, like your body really feeling like, you know, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's coming in. I don't know if there's going to be enough. It just like you, you really break the trust with your body in those situations. And so through this process, you and your body are coming into a conversation with uh, each other, which I know that sounds crazy, but that's really what is happening and healing those connections again. And it really is, is magical what happens on the other side of that. Yeah. Because I mean, and it takes time, it takes time for these patterns to, Mm -hmm. you know, release themselves and, um, like trusting, trusting, being able to trust, um, our hunger and our body that it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Some days, some days I feel like I'm, I'm really in tune with, okay, what do I want? Okay. And Mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's going to satiate me? Like the other night I ate way more protein than I've been eating. Like I, cause like, Mm -hmm. I kind of loosely track, like not, not crazy. I don't use an app or anything, but I'm like, I'm going to try to eat more protein today. So I, I did, I ate like way more protein and I was like, holy crap. Like I haven't had this much protein in a while. And I went to bed and I felt satiated. And usually Mm -hmm. I want, like, I want to eat again, like before bed, like Mm -hmm. immediately before bed. And, and I didn't feel the need to, and I was like, okay, well then that just proves that this little experiment, you know, this, this tells me that when I eat more protein and sometimes it's going to be more protein than we think we need. And that's Mm going to be the magic key to the satiation piece of the puzzle. And, you know, cause I think sometimes we get caught up in what other people are saying on podcasts. Oh, it should be this amount of grams per pound. Like just, it doesn't just, Mm -hmm. it really doesn't come down to that. I mean, sure. Maybe some people have like medical issues and they have to like be careful with how much protein they have. But like for people who are listening to this and they're trying to get out of like the eating disorder stuff, adding more protein is only going to help. It's only going to benefit. It's only going to help the nervous system feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of wanted to to pivot to another, you know, maybe a, a question that maybe people are asking or thinking because you said, okay, you know, once you start trusting yourself and eating more and nourishing more and feeling satiated and, and allowing yourself to have that satiation, then things just get easier and it's, it's, you're not overeating and you're not binging, but I can hear people saying, okay, but what about emotional eating? Like I'm not Mm -hmm. hungry, I'm full, but I still eat. So let's, let's Mm -hmm. go into that. Real quick, before I get deeper into this episode, I want to talk to you guys about my sponsor for this podcast, BetterHelp. You guys know how much I love therapy. I have been in therapy for several years, but I've been using BetterHelp for about three years. And I love my therapist. She's amazing. Uh, So I'm very happy that BetterHelp has, you know, sponsored this podcast. And out of all of my sponsors, I got to be real, BetterHelp is my favorite because I actually use them every day, every week. Um, I have a great relationship with just the experience. And, you know, my therapist has helped me through so much the last couple years. And BetterHelp is very, very easy. You don't have to do it. Um, you don't have to do it, you know, you don't have to go to a, a freaking office. You don't have to take a drive. You don't have to take an Uber or a Lyft. You can just do it from the privacy of your own home or wherever you're traveling. You can do it video. You can do um, just an audio call if you're not comfortable doing video or you can do the messaging. And you can also message your therapist whenever you need to. There's also a journal feature, which I love because journaling and typing all of that stuff out of your head is so helpful. 
Um, so join over 2 million people who are using BetterHelp. That is crazy, 2 million people. Um, it has helped me so much. Just having someone on your side and having that outside perspective who is not going to judge you. Um, they're not going to hold anything over your head. They don't know um, any anything any secrets that you tell them, they're not going to ever hold that against you. And that's what I love about my therapist. I could tell her the worst things I've ever done and she's not going to to judge me. Um, she's been very helpful with everything that I've gone through with, you know, the relationship with my mom and healing and, and everything like that. And she does EMDR. So you can find a therapist who matches your personal needs, whether it's addiction uh, substance abuse, trauma, eating disorders, relationship issues. You can find the perfect therapist and you can change the therapist as many times as you need at no charge and it's super easy to, to navigate the app. So all you're going to do is go to betterhelp.com slash vibe for a discount and that will get you a nice discount on your first month of therapy. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash vibe that's betterhelp h-e-l-p dot com slash vibe for a 10% off discount your first month of online counseling and I hope you do it because we all we all really need support and if you haven't tried therapy yet this is going to help you so much betterhelp.com slash vibe well so just because you're emotionally eating doesn't mean like it, you may, you may go into it and, um, and you're full or you think you're full and still have appetite. So that, to me, that's a separate thing. It's mental hunger where, um, you might be eating food all day and it is satiating you. However, it's not satisfying you. So we still have to, we still can't eliminate that. So just for anybody who's thinking about that. And I think I said this on your last podcast, but like, I think it's just important to say this. I have a lot of anecdotal evidence and what I have seen over and over and over and over and over again is that the amount of emotional eating um, is reduced by 80 to 90% when people address those two things, um, satiation the... and satisfaction. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Once you are no longer restricted, meaning you're eating enough food, you're, you're biologically regulated. And once you are satisfied and not deprived, meaning you're, you're actually enjoying the food you're eating, then the emotional eating goes way, 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 way down. So a lot of people who come into our program that think they're emotional eaters end up like after going through those two parts of the program are like, oh my God, I actually wasn't, maybe I was emotional maybe I was eating, but um, it feels much more manageable now, like my emotions do. So we always eliminate that first because that's just what I have found is like, you can't address emotional eating. Like you can't even get to it if you don't cut through all the other stuff first. It's just so, so huge. Um, but then once you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm satiated, I'm satisfied. Um, I'm eating my core meals and I'm investigating and I'm still finding myself turning to food when I'm sad or when I'm happy even, or when I'm bored. Um, for me, it was always like an entertainment boredom thing, um, which I've definitely have done. So it's like, first of all, staying out of a place of beating yourself up over it. So you don't end up putting yourself right back into the binge restrict cycle and like, emotionally eating once or even every so often is not the same thing. It's like, not, it's not a problem. It's not a problem until it is creating a secondary problem for you. So emotionally eating in and by itself, just because you have an emotion and you're eating doesn't make that a bad thing. It's never a bad thing anyways, because we just don't believe in good and bad. We just believe in investigation. Um, so lab don't label it. Don't label it as a bad thing. Just get curious about it. And then you can start to, um, check in with your emotions and just see like, what am I experiencing? What am I feeling? Let me stop and take a pause real quick. And sometimes this happens. What I have found is like, by the time you get to the emotional eating, um, moment, like where you're about to make the decision about emotional eating, it's, it's too late for all of this. So we do this retroactively. 
Um, I just had a client today who said that for the first time she was able to stop first and then do these things. Um, but it does require kind of going back and looking and seeing what else could I have done? So we stop, we pause, we feel the emotions in the body, like literally turn off the story in your head and feel the physical sensations of the emotions. So let's just say that I've had a bad day. I hate my boss. Um, he's such a micromanager and that's the story that's going on in my head. So I will say, okay, no more thoughts. Cause thoughts are created from the feelings that we're feeling. Um, so turn those off and now just check in with my body. I close my eyes. I might take a deep breath and just say, okay, I feel tightness in my chest. My stomach is in a knot. I feel constriction in my neck. My chest feels hot and you're tuning into those physical sensations. And that just allows you to actually feel the feeling and the emotion. Um, once you do that, then you can start to think about, um, you know, do I need to soothe myself in a way that doesn't create a secondary problem? So a secondary problem is going to be, I'm eating emotionally eating every single day and it's causing a health problem, a discomfort problem, or I'm eating emotionally and therefore detaching and numbing out from feelings that I actually should be dealing with. And I have no emotional resiliency whatsoever. So emotional resiliency just means like you can feel your feelings and you know that they come and they go, that they're not permanent. You're okay with feeling them. Some people especially in our society, just run from them because we've never been given any sort of emotional education. If you're an adult in this country, you're just kind of hearing about this stuff for the first time, probably. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's like becoming resilient to those emotions is, is important. Having self-soothing techniques that are, you know, not going to create that secondary problem. Um, and also, asking yourself the question, is there a need here that I need to meet that I am ignoring, um, that's coming up and I'm just, you know, is the need for pleasure is the need for excitement. Do I need more pleasure and excitement in my life? Is my, is the need for autonomy? Do I feel like someone else controls the majority of my day? So I'm going to, you know, sit down with this food and this is going to be my autonomy. There's a lot of things that it could be, but we're investigating all of those things. It's, it's not so straightforward. It's kind of a, a multi-prong approach, but, um, it has to deal with like doing all those things kind of in unison and changing your relationship with your emotions. Yes. And so we actually, um, we did touch on some of the emotional potential needs in the last episode and, um, I made a list and I sent you the list. Um, mm -hmm. Before we get into the list of potential emotional needs and then what what we could actually do to fill that need other than using food, um, mm -hmm. when you were talking and you said, okay, is it causing a secondary problem? I could just hear my own eating disorder say, mm -hmm. well, yeah, the, the secondary problem is the, the shame and the guilt and the disgust that you feel after you eat too much. Mm -hmm. But that is coming, be, the, the shame and the guilt, yeah, it sucks. It's, it, it's, it could be looked at as a problem, but the mm -hmm. shame and the guilt and the disgust is coming from, well, restriction, deprivation, and then that led me to overeat or eat so fast that my stomach is, is too full, but it wasn't yep. emotional eating. It wasn't, um, it was more of that primal. So it's really, really important for people to kind of decipher. And that, that is going to be a huge pivotal piece of this, because if you can, if you can drop in and say, okay, no, this, this is not emotional eating. It kind of takes off that layer of shame right away. Yes, exactly. Like, I think that that's what I, so much of what we do is just help, help people to understand themselves because guilt and shame, when it comes to this stuff, you know, guilt is for when you acted against your own values. I heard Lennon Doyle say that, and I loved it. I think she was quoting someone else, but, um, guilt is when you act against your own values and shame. I think Brene Brown talks about shame as being, um, I'm, I'm bad. I'm inherently unworthy when that there's no place for either of those emotions when it comes to food and our bodies, it just creates more and more and more problems. So once you start to understand yourself and you get guilt and shame out of it, then you find the mental space for practical solutions. 
which if you're beating yourself up because you're emotionally eating, you're not finding practical solutions to what's actually happening under the surface, which is, you know, when maybe you have one of these unmet needs. And if Mm -hmm. you're not beating yourself up, then there's room in your head to be like, okay, I can actually do something about this and I can be proactive and I can change this situation rather than just going through the binge restrict cycle over and over and over again. Right. And what you just said, like about values. Okay. So what are your values? Like, how do you, mm-hmm. how do I want to feel like going into this meal? How, how do I want to feel when I'm done eating? Do I want to feel so stuffed for the point where I can't breathe because I ate mm-hmm. so fast and I was in a mindless eating chaotic grazing state mm-hmm. or, you know, do I, you know, cause it's like understanding how we want to feel emotionally and energetically, mm-hmm. um, is a big part of it. And if we could just really get real and tune into our body and our nervous system and our emotions and say, okay, yeah, this is emotional eating or, okay, this is, this is chaotic eating because I, you know, didn't eat enough today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. So if it is emotional eating, or if somebody's dealing with a really stressful time in their life, you know, maybe whatever, they're just going through a really crazy time, or they just have this behavior that is so ingrained in them that, um, that they're just so used to eating at night. And you said it could be a boredom thing, entertainment. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's go down the line. Um, number one, um, entertainment. So if you are craving something entertaining, like if you're just bored all the time, then of course you're Mm -hmm. going to, you know, reach for food. Right. Yeah. I think that for me, boredom is as an ADHD person is one of the worst emotions for me to experience. I have Mm -hmm. the most difficulty with boredom than any, like even I'm, I'm pretty good at feeling my sad feelings. I'm pretty good at feeling like everything. I hate being bored. Um, it feels physically uncomfortable for me. So I, I have become, I've tried to become more, uh, resilient to boredom. And also I keep a list of like things that bring me joy that I can do and, and, um, aren't just like bed rotting. (laughs) So it's like, um, I have a list of like, go out to this place and things I can do by myself, things I can do with friends, things that I can, um, create. Like I love to, to sit down and journal. I love to create things. So, um, I keep a list of those kinds of things. And if I'm feeling, if I'm recognizing that I'm eating because I'm bored, then I am trying to proactively add more of those things into my, my day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I even heard on, I love, I love all of those, like, like having like a little menu of like, okay, Mm -hmm. what, instead of a menu of food of, you know, um, so I heard somebody, some, this guy, his name's, um, Josh Hillis, and he talks a lot about emotional eating. Um, he was saying that one of his clients, they just needed to find better TV shows to watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the shows they were watching were just boring the hell out of them. And they just kept going yeah. to the kitchen. And I was like, yeah. wow, that that's literally what I do at night because I'm, yeah. it's like, and especially for us, like people with ADHD, we just can't concentrate on something unless it's really captivating. Mm -hmm. So I've been Mm -hmm. researching what shows are good on Hulu, what shows are good on, you know, like trying to find better shows. It sounds so stupid, but like it's been helping. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. And that's, and like all of these things too, I think that it's important that, um, that you still like, no matter what you choose, you don't beat yourself up for, like, I, I, I know I keep saying this, but it's just so important to be in a state of mind of if I am doing these things and I'm eating cause I'm bored, I never beat myself up for it. Right. I never. I'm like, like, God, why'd you do that? It's always like, Oh, interesting. What's going on here. As if it was my best friend who was telling me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And like, just to put it out there, like eating is, um, nothing to be shameful or guilt guilty about it's it's something natural that we all do as humans just like sleep and thirst we don't we don't tell ourselves no I can't have water no I can't sleep but hunger Mm -hmm. for some reason we you know diet culture just really fucks that up for all of us but um yep all right so the next one is pleasure and excitement I guess those can be kind of like in the same realm 
um, mm -hmm. pleasure and excitement. So pleasure, like it's, you know, the obvious things like going and getting a massage or have like being joyful, um, even, you know, sexual pleasure. I think that you could fit in there, but honestly, I had this, I had a guest on the podcast a while back and she was talking about, um, micro pleasures and how important they were. And actually I have Dr. Ross Gay's book, um, the book of delights, and I Ooh. was just reading it. Oh my God. It's yeah. so great. Because Tony and I actually, we started, um, pointing out our little delights to each other on our walks and it is such a game changer. It just makes you experience life in this whole different light where you start to notice all these like pleasurable things around you that you've never noticed before. And it's all these little things. Um, mm -hmm. like my dog, she, when she is excited to see me, she comes and like puts her, her whole head. She's a golden retriever. I don't know if you've ever seen, Aww. they all do it, but they, yeah. they, when they like hug you, they come and put their head between your legs. And it's so <laughs> weird, but like, that's such a pleasure for me. That's so, that's so, if I stop and notice it and really notice how I feel inside when that happens, um, it's, it's so pleasurable. And so if you start to find those little things throughout your day, they are there. They're mm -hmm. everywhere around you. The way the sunlight hits is hitting the leaves across the street or like watching birds or the way that my son will say something hilarious. Like it's just, it's everywhere. Um, but we're not tuning into it because we're so busy and you, because the way that our human brains work is that they're always looking for the bad stuff because that's survival. Um, you have to be aware of the bad things in order to survive, in order to avoid them. So we have to train our brain and we have to be, make an intentional practice of finding things that give us pleasure. So I would, I would just try, like go through a day and see if you can find all the things that give you like a little jolt of joy. of mm -hmm. pleasure. I love that. It's, it's such a huge game changer. And it's, especially we are all so busy that it's doable. Like you mm -hmm. don't have to go and do anything to experience pleasure. It's literally, you could be sitting here and I bet you could find something. And sometimes like the things that give us pleasure are things that might be really mundane to somebody else. Like, right. I, um, I cleaned the balcony a little bit yesterday. I sold a couple things. I washed the windows and that mm -hmm. literally, it did something for me. I was like, wow, yeah. I feel, I feel accomplished. I feel like yeah. I just did something creative, even though it wasn't really creative. It was just cleaning, but like yeah. maybe cleaning is as a way to it can be pleasurable like, creatively like move energy around like it's kind of like yeah. you know witches kind of talk about that and like magic and stuff like cleaning and sweeping is moving energy around so these mm. these like little mundane things we don't think and it can get us in our body too like just yes. any kind of like movement um another one that I've heard you and Tony talk about on your podcast is rest like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe, maybe I literally just need to lay down and put my legs up the wall and then see how I feel in 15 minutes, put a timer on. And then if I want to eat after that timer goes off, sure, go for it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I, we've had clients who they thought that they were hungry every single night getting home from work and they tried going and resting instead and like doing something really self-indulgent, like reading a books that they would never let themselves do. And, um, the need to eat just like disappeared. It just went away. So that's, I think that rest is so underrated, <laughs> you know, like I, I was experiencing burnout because I went back to school this summer and I, my semester was finally over and I was experiencing burnout and was like, you know what, I'm going to take a week off of exercise. I'm just, I don't want to add to, I just want to lay in bed in the morning and drink coffee. I don't want to go to the gym. And I did that for a week. And then I was like, you know what? I'd like to do that for a few more days. And I did. And then eventually I wanted to go back to the gym. I went back this morning, but, um, I'm just always kind of working with my internal state and seeing like, how much rest do I need? Do I need more than usual? Do I need, you know, or can I push it right now? Those kinds of things. And it's, it's magical. What happens when you actually tune in and listen to your body. Right. Like maybe rest is a form of nourishment. It's energy mm -hmm. nourishment. Definitely. Exactly. Especially when you're short on it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're just constantly going, going, going and not eating and, you know, like it's just a lot right. um, of nervous system stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. The next ones that are on the list, um, 
relief and release. I think those are kind of similar. Yeah. Um, relief is like, when I think of relief, I think about getting away from my kid <laughs> for a little while. It sounds <laughs> terrible, but, um, like freedom. Yeah. Freedom. I think that this, a sense of relief is it, it can be different given any different situation, but relief can be going and getting therapy, you know, and experiencing some emotional release from with the help of a therapist. Um, relief can be just taking a break and just whatever. I think it's like, whenever something is really, um, weighing on you, like, I think that I was seeking relief when I last week when I was resting. So these things are kind of interrelated. You can see as I was seeking relief from the feeling of pushing myself so hard and the burnout of working so hard at school and work and kids and everything else. Um, but, or the intensity of having an autistic child, sometimes he's, he can be pretty intense and I just need a break from that. So of course relief. Yeah. Um, another one that I felt the other night when I was kind of making this list, this ongoing list, I was like, what do I need right now? And I was like, I feel like I need it, need attention. Like, like yeah. I'm, like I'm seeking attention or validation or something. And I was like, huh, okay. So what can I do for that? And I went on Reddit and Instagram and I, mm-hmm. I went on Reddit cause I'm a big Reddit person. And I made a post in one of the, in one of the subs that I like, because mm-hmm. I was feeling, I, I had emotions about this certain thing. And I was like, okay, so like I went and I wrote about it and it just so happens that that post got like thousands of, of upvotes or whatever. And Mm -hmm. like, like over 700 comments. And I was like, holy shit. Like, and I was just like, whoa, that like did something to my, to me. Like I, like it it was like, it was like a hit of, of yeah, that, that, that need was was hit. And I was like, wow, I never, I never knew that like that's why I might go to like food when I'm not hungry is because I need attention, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you never stop and investigate, then you don't know. And you just do what's what you've always done, what you always have known. So it does take a little bit of mental energy to kind of do that. And it takes some practice, but it's like, if there's something kind of bubbling under the surface and, and you're ignoring it, that doesn't make the bubbling under the surface go away. It makes it actually build and build and build and build. Yeah. Um, so I know that you have to go soon. So instead of me going through the rest of the list, um, I'm going to put the list in the show notes. The rest of them were like um, physical touch, purpose, creativity, expression, connection, control, and satisfaction. So a lot of these are similar. So I'm going to put the list in the show notes um, mm-hmm. so people can investigate. And um, we didn't unfortunately get to the the topic about boundaries with food, with like permission-based eating, but you and Tony have an episode about that. You have a few actually. Um, so I could actually link those in the show notes as well. And if anybody who's listening wants to go tune into the fitness and sushi podcast, go, go ahead. There's, I I literally made, I, I sent it, I sent it to you. I made a Mm -hmm. best of playlist of all (laughs) the, in my opinion, the, the best of fitness and sushi. So I'll put that link in the show notes too. So people can kind of just like go and be like, Oh, okay. These are the best episodes maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you want to book a breakthrough call with Deanna, which I did, and I, I did have a breakthrough, (laughs) like I literally did. Um, you could do that and I'll put that link in the show notes. Is there anything else that you kind of want to leave the listeners with? No, I think, um, I mean, obviously this is very it's, I don't want to say complicated because it's not, it's not complicated. It's simple, but it's not, not necessarily easy to heal Mm -hmm. these things. And it's straightforward, but it, it requires some patience. It requires, I always say that like, by the time people reach me, um, they're at rock bottom because there's like, it's so different what we do. It's so different how, um, we approach food and, and our bodies that, um, you've really got to be open-minded. So most of those people are just like, nothing else is working. I am so desperate. Please help me. So, but it is worth it. The other side of being healed is amazing. It's just, I mean, it's living, it's going from not living to living and actually experiencing life on every level that you can. Um, so it's really, it's, 
it's such a beautiful experience. Um, I'd love for you guys to talk to me, to go check out what we do, check out our podcast and thanks for having me back again. Yeah. It, it was an amazing conversation. I, I do feel like we could talk forever, but I know that you I have know. another client soon. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, I love talking to you and I literally binge listen to your podcast, like even episodes that I've listened to, like already, I just kind of like have, that's why I made the playlist. Cause I'm like, okay, I need, what, what do I need right now? I need, mm-hmm. I need to listen to Tony and Deanna just talk about what I'm going through or, you know, that's, that's a need to listen to a podcast and get mm-hmm. that, get that connection and get that like sense of okay I'm not alone you know yeah so yeah our our listeners call us mom and dad so go listen to mom and dad (laughs) (laughs) I love it we'll talk you through whatever you need we're there for you I love it okay well it was awesome talking to you thank you so much for coming on for a part two thanks for having me Gab